Well, good morning, everyone. It's a genuine pleasure to be here. I'm really excited about this. Um, I'm just going to introduce myself a little bit for people who don't know me. My name's Alex. Um, I've been a member here at Light and Life for a couple of years now. Um, and I genuinely wholeheartedly believe that God has called me here this morning to preach. Um, so I'm praying that he'll help me in both the content and the delivery um, and give me strength for that. Um, so I've been a Christian since 2012. I grew up in a Christian home, um, been to church since birth. My parents are sitting over there in the audience. Um, I tried praying. I knew my Bible really well. Um, but I actually decided that Christianity wasn't for me. It was a bit boring. Um, and there was nothing in it for me. I just I didn't enjoy it. And I thought my Sundays would actually be better spent in bed playing computer games. <laughs> or when I got slightly older, hung over. Um, so I stopped going to church from the age of 18. I spent the next eight years avoiding church like the plague. I was more than happy keeping myself as far away from God as possible. So fast forward to 2010, and during a late-night philosophical conversation with my brother-in-law, who isn't a Christian, but he does believe that there's something more to life, um, I came to see that there probably was something more to this natural world that we see. The first law of thermodynamics would suggest that everything we see couldn't have possibly come from nothing. There had to be something else behind it. But anyway, that was 2010, and I was quite happy to hold that view that there's probably something more behind it, um, but still to avoid anything to do with Christianity or God. So fast forward two more years, I was happily living for myself, happily married, two children, still happily married, by the way, <laughs> um, and I was still comfortably living with no thought of God at all. And then around October time, a Bible verse came into my head. And the Bible verse was, seek first the kingdom of God. So I tried to ignore that. I tried to forget about it. I didn't want to know about that verse. But it was in my head. It was stuck there. And for two weeks, this verse was in my head. It wouldn't leave me alone. So I thought, if this isn't going to go away, I better do something about it. So being quite literal, I got a Bible, and I started to seek first. So every morning... Before I did anything else, I would read the Bible. Now, that was in 2012. And just to cut the story a little bit short, I found the Bible to be not only true and relevant and reliable, but I found that the God of the Bible was real and that he loves me. And my life was so transformed by this that my wife even said that I was not the man she married. So I haven't gone a single day without reading this book. It's amazing. Anyway, fast forward a bit further to today. Why am I up here? Why am I speaking with you? Well, I've felt for a long time that God has called me to do this. I felt that he's called me to speak. But I've also been really mindful of the fact that it's easy to be deceived, that our hearts are deceptive, and that I could be deceived by my pride and the trust in my own abilities. But I'm also acutely aware of James 3.1, which says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, I don't know about you, but I really don't want to be judged more strictly. <laughs> um, seriously, I'm not a super spiritual person. I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm not that sort of person. When I stand and am um, judged by God, I'll be there by Jesus' blood, by his righteousness. And that is it. Everything I've done will be like filthy rags. So you could definitely say, I feel a little bit like Jonah. And I feel called, but very reluctant. Fortunately, my story doesn't involve any fish. Um, <laughs> I'm also really deep, deeply mindful of 1 Corinthians 9.16, where Paul says this, Yet preaching the good news is not something I can boast about, 
I am compelled by God to do it. How terrible for me if I did not preach the gospel. So God compels me to do this, and I'd be so much worse if I didn't. Anyway, that's just a little bit about me and who I am and my journey and how I came to be here this morning standing in front of you all. What I'm really here to talk about this morning is prayer. And I'll focus on one prayer in particular. I once heard that prayer is described as this, the thermostat of the soul. And it's really easy to see why. Because when your prayer life is hot, when you are right and good, when you are bowed before God, frequently and reverently talking to him, there's a deep mystery of communion. It is impossible to be spiritually lukewarm or cold when you are in prayer. Prayer is vital. It is, a non, it is an essential, non-negotiable to Christian life. As I mentioned earlier, I haven't missed a single day of reading the Bible in six years. But I can clearly see times in my life that have been the most blessed, the closest to God, the most able to walk spiritually forward, have been those times which I've been frequently and fervently in prayer. Prayer, then, is essential to our lives as Christians. It's actually how we start our lives with Jesus, by praying and confessing our sins, those things that we've done wrong, as we're taught to do in the Bible. 2 Chronicles 7.14 tells us this. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. It's also how we ask for things that we need in life, both our spiritual needs and our physical needs. God hears us. He loves us. He is our Heavenly Father. He delights in answering our prayers. What prayer is at its core is just speaking to God. It's communication method between the source of all life and creation and the life that he created, that is us. Given the importance of prayer, then, there is a lot in the Bible, as you would expect. And what I want to do today is look at the prayer that God himself gave us as an example of how to pray. Hopefully most of you have guessed I'm talking about the Lord's Prayer. So just before I start looking at that, I want to confess that I started preparing this sermon, and I was hoping to get the whole of the Lord's Prayer done in one, um, but it's just too good to rush through. So I've stopped part way through, and I don't think any of you really want a 90-minute sermon either, so hopefully it'll be a bit shorter. So with that out of the way, I'd like to begin with a bit of audience participation. Um, so what I'd like everyone to do in a second is say out loud the Lord's Prayer. And I'm not going to put the words on screen because hopefully enough of you here know it off by heart. Um, and if you don't, don't worry. Hopefully by the end of this sermon you'll know at least half of it a little bit better. Um, and I'm going to go with the old English version because I think that's probably the version most people are familiar with. So let's start. Our Father, who art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks. That was still a lot of energy and enthusiasm there. So we've gathered that we know the words. We know the words of the Lord's Prayer. But how much thought have we really given those words? We can parrot it off like we just did. But what was it this prayer was intended for? Is that how it was intended to be used? When we consider that Jesus, God himself in the flesh, came from heaven to earth and he gave us this model prayer, 
I think it's probably worth giving some deeper thought. So if we can just start by reading the accounts of the Lord's Prayer. One is given in Luke and one in Matthew. They both give different perspectives on the circumstances in which the prayer is given. Can we just have the, uh, the words behind me there, please? On Matthew 6, 5 to 14. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that their words will be heard, they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And if we can just have Luke 11, 1 to 4. Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Luke reveals that the Lord's Prayer is given as a direct response to the disciples' desire to know how to pray. It is Jesus teaching them how to pray. And we see from the verses in Matthew that Jesus instructs us not to babble on in prayer, which makes the parrot-use fashion of the Lord's Prayer seem slightly ironic to me. In fact, while I was preparing for today, I came across a quote, which, if I can have that on the screen as well, please, it's behind me. The quote was, Unfortunately, it seems like the Lord's Prayer is, of all the prayers in Christendom, the greatest martyr to thoughtless recitation. So to com- combat that thoughtless repetition, I want to drill down into the Lord's Prayer today, to help you connect with this really beautiful prayer, so that next time you pray it, or next time you base a prayer on it, it becomes as I believe Jesus intended it to be. Genuine, heartfelt, spirit-led prayer. So just a bit of context around the fact that we've got two versions of this prayer. In Matthew, we've got the longer prayer, and it's given as part of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is probably the most famous sermon ever given in the history of Christianity. It's hardly surprising when you think it's Jesus himself who's preaching it. And when I was preparing for this, I thought, how can I best summarize the Sermon on the Mount for people who may not know? And what I found was a one-line summary of the Sermon on the Mount, which I really liked, and hopefully it will come up behind me as well. It said about the Sermon on the Mount, that is, how to live a life that is dedicated to and pleasing to God, free from hypocrisy, full of love and grace, full of wisdom and discernment. And what we see is so much of that love and that grace that is in the Sermon on the Mount, 
We see that poured out in, in the recording of the Lord's Prayer. And we move to Luke, which is uh, given in the context of the surrounding verses. doesn't appear to have been given at the Sermon on the Mount. It's a shorter prayer, and it's given in response to that question, as I mentioned earlier. It's the disciples who've witnessed Jesus praying, and they see Jesus praying, and they want to pray like him. So what we've got is two similar prayers, but they're not quite the same. But for the purpose of the sermon, we're just going to put them all together and just call them the Lord's Prayer. And I'll be focusing on the version of Matthew, the longer prayer. So what is Jesus doing in this prayer then? Pray like this. This is the New Living Translation, and it uses those words when it introduces the prayer. And I really like that, because what Jesus is doing is modelling a prayer for us. It's not a chant. It's not a prayer offered thoughtlessly. It's got to be considered in its meaning. I believe the fact that Jesus gives this twice, with two different wordings, shows us that he's not asking us to be dogmatic or unbending in this prayer. It's for us to model. It's for us to adapt and make our own. It's an outline for us to use. Let's have the next slide, please. Our Father, who art in heaven. This prayer opens by addressing God, the Almighty, the creator of everything we see, the invisible, everlasting, as Father. Jesus brings the unfathomable God to us in a way in which we can relate to, in the most intimate way possible, a Father. God cares for us. He loves us so much that the closest thing that we can imagine to that is the unconditional love of a father. When you have a good father, there is nothing you could do to stop that father loving you. The love he has for you will never stop, no matter how awful you are. No matter what you've done, his love for his children will always be there. And it is that amazing loving relationship that we are invited to with God. We are able to communicate with God, just like a a child before their father. But this verse also helps us to remember this isn't an earthly father. It's a heavenly father. And I'm aware as well that there are those here who have never experienced that loving relationship with a father. You may have never grown up knowing your earthly father. You may have known him and wish you hadn't. And unfortunately, as we know, some people have lost their father. And it's just deeply tragic. Human fathers are frail. They're imperfect, sinful people. And even the best earthly fathers will let you down at times. They will make mistakes and they will fail you. But our Father, our Father in heaven, he will never let you down. He will never leave you. He will never stop loving you. Ephesians 1, 4-5 says this. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So what we see in the very first line here of the Lord's Prayer is the gospel. When I said, our Heavenly Father will never leave us, I meant it. But we can leave him. By our own human nature, we want nothing to do with God. As I said in the introduction, I would rather have been hung over than know God. But in his love, he never stopped calling to me. He never stopped loving me. And he loves me and he loves you so much that he adopted us. He didn't do it reluctantly. He didn't do it because he felt duty-bound to adopt us or because he's so merciful that he was compelled to. 
He did it because he wanted to, and it gave him great pleasure. So if you've never known the love of an earthly father, don't be discouraged. You can have the awesome, unrelenting love of a heavenly father, which is so much better. And if you have had a really good relationship with a father, an earthly father, I would encourage you all to meditate on that, to use that, and thank God for that relationship and use it as a way to relate to him and understand the way he cares for us. Just have the next slide, please. Hallowed be thy name. What does it mean to hallow someone's name? I had to look it up. <laughs> the Oxford English Dictionary defines the word hallow as to honour as holy. So this then is Jesus getting us to focus our minds on the holiness of our Heavenly Father. He is our Father. He is close to us. He is loving, but he is still holy. The word holy and holiness aren't particularly common these days, even within a church context. But holy and holiness can basically be defined as something being set apart. Like when we take communion. It's also known as holy communion. It's a fellowship meal that is different. It is set apart. It's different in its undertaking and its purpose than a normal meal. So when we refer to God as holy, it means that he is holy. He is set apart and completely other, completely different. He is incomprehensible. Isaiah 55, 8-9 says this. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So we're called to honour his name as something particularly special. It is not to be used flippantly. It's not to be used casually. It's not to be used for us to express surprise. As so common these days, it's even printed on t-shirts. This is the creator of the universe, the almighty God. He deserves our utmost respect and reverence. He is the highest of highs, the king of kings and lord of lords. But more than just being told to respect God's name, we are shown in this model prayer to pray to God, hallowed be thy name. And I feel what we're doing here in this part of the prayer is both reminding ourselves that God is holy and spiritually bowing before him in a position of recognition of the holiness of God. When Isaiah caught a glimpse of God in prophecy, he said these words, Woe is me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah was a man chosen by God. He was a super spiritual man. He was gifted by God for extraordinary things. He has seen things which no other person has ever seen. And he was given, given powerful messages from God for his people, Israel. And yet, when Isaiah sees God, he collapses and basically says that he's done for. In the unveiled, unrestrained presence of God, Isaiah realizes the true state of man before the holiness of God. Therefore, I believe what God is doing here is mercifully using this prayer to help us come to a point of humility and recognition of who he is and who we are before him. And that's before we get to see him in his unveiled state in eternity, in his full majesty. If we just move to the next slide. Thy kingdom come. Now, I know you shouldn't have favorites, particularly when you see how awesome the other two lines are. 
but I really, really love this verse. It might have something to do with the way I was saved and the verse that God used in that conversion. But it is just so powerful. What are we asking for here when we pray this line? What is God's kingdom and why do we want it to come to earth? This could be an entire series of sermons on its own because it's a really big topic. Um, Kingdoms are by nature very big and they're multifunctional. But I want to just summarize this. God's kingdom in... uh, It's illustrated most during Jesus' work on earth. He's the king of heaven. And yet he came to earth to show us what his kingdom is and what it means to be part of that kingdom. Jesus came to undo the curse of sin. When Adam walked away from his heavenly father in the Garden of Eden, he caused a curse to be placed on all of mankind. The Bible tells us very clearly sin brings disease, pain, suffering, hardship, fatigue, Misery, envy, striving, hatred, greed, and ultimately death. Jesus came to show us perfection. He came to show that his, power has the, his kingdom has the power over disease. He healed the sick, those in pain, those suffering. Jesus brings peace and rest. He tells us that in his kingdom, the first shall be last, and that greed and striving won't get us anywhere. He says that hatred is as bad as murder and that the only true way to live is by love. Loving God with all of our hearts, all of our mind, all of our soul and all of our strength. And loving our neighbours as much as we love ourselves. And then Jesus showed he had the power over death. He took the punishment that we deserved. He came back, he was hung on the cross. He buried and then he came back from the dead to show that in his kingdom, death is done. It is beaten. It is gone. The ultimate consequence of our fall, the ultimate consequence for sin, disobedience to God, it is done, paid for by the blood of the perfect king of the perfect kingdom. And that is the power of this verse. That is the power of our God to see, and what I want to see is his kingdom here on earth. I also just want to say that if you're sat here today, and you aren't part of that kingdom, if you aren't joined with that heavenly power, I beg you, please, make sure that you don't leave here today without knowing God. It is literally the best thing you could ever do. So good. So thy kingdom come. It's an awesome thing to pray. It is truly amazing. But, and there's always a but, (laughs) the next line of the prayer shows us there is a cost for this kingdom. Let me just have the next slide. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now you may be thinking, what do I mean about the line before having a cost? What do I mean there's a cost for us? What does that mean? Well, for us to be praying effectively, we have to realize this isn't just a throwaway line, that there is truth in this verse. If we want to see God's will done on earth exactly like it is in heaven, then we have to realize so often Our will and God's will are not lined up to want the same things. What we need to be mindful of praying here is that it is God's will to be done, no matter what. In heaven, nobody questions God. Nobody delays following an instruction. Nobody thinks they can change the instruction just slightly. And nobody thinks they know better than God. In heaven, God's will is done perfectly every single time. So when we pray, thy will be done, we better know what it really means is this. Thy will be done 
my will be gone. And what I mean by this is that any time that my will, that your will, doesn't line up with God's will, it still has to be God's will that is done and not mine. I'll just say that again because what I really want you to take from today, if there's only one thing, if there's only one thing you take from today, and I hope there is a little bit more than that, is this. Thy will be done, my will be gone. And there's a reason why I think this is so important. And the reason is that if you are 100% committed to and submitted to God, you couldn't ever go wrong. It's impossible to go wrong. Sin is at his very root, disobedience to God. So when we pray, thy will be done, I want us to really dwell on this and focus on his will over and above our will. No matter what the cost, I want us to commit and submit to God. So this is the point I mentioned near the beginning where I've got (laughs) a few lines in and I don't want to go on any further because I'll be here all afternoon. Um, So I'm just going to finish or wrap up shortly because I don't want to be dragged off the stage by Pete. And uh, if that wasn't too awful for everyone, I'd like to come back at some point and finish off the other half. But what I'd like to do before we finish is to do as Jesus instructs. Change slide again, please. To pray like this. So what I'm going to do is pray using the Lord's Prayer as a template. And I'd like to encourage you all to do this as well at some point. To put this prayer into your own language and to really use it to connect to God. To connect to your loving Heavenly Father. So I'm just going to pray now. My loving Heavenly Father, holy and seated on high. Lord, may I keep your name holy in my life and lift it up so that others may see how awesome you are. Let your perfect kingdom come to earth. Let there be no end to your reign in my life and let me see your kingdom explode in growth all around me. Father, help me submit in every way to you. Let me never be willful or stubborn. Let your will be done, my will be gone. Provide for me today everything that I need and keep me from being tempted to do wrong, to sin or to offend you. Keep me far away from the enemy and his schemes. All praise to you, my awesome God and King, my loving Saviour. For this kingdom is yours, all power comes from you and you are the source of all joy, hope, love and life. All glory to you forever and ever. Amen.